Hi, I'm Jason Chung, head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. And I'm Philip Milestone, counsel at Zuber Lawler. Zuber Lawler is a law firm, and like any good lawyers, we have a big disclaimer for you. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. Until you pay us. So everything here is for entertainment purposes only. Again, until you pay us. Brought to you by virtualtimes.com. Virtualtimes.com, your news from the metaverse. Hello, Meta Sapiens. Welcome back to What the Meta. I'm your co-host, Jason Chung. I'm the head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. With me is... Philip Milestone, also counsel at Zuber Lawler. That was a real smooth transition. Uh, <laughs> anyway, speaking of smooth transitions, today we're going to be talking about gaming and the metaverse, right? And, uh, you know, how that's important and why people think of Ready Player One every time they talk to me about the metaverse and what I do. So uh, just to establish our street cred, Philip, uh, what is your experience with gaming? And then I'll follow with mine. Sure. So um, professionally, I am working with some companies now that are in the gaming space, both in the metaverse and otherwise. Um, personally, I've been gaming for, so I'm 45, so 20, 20 25 years <laughs> or so. Um, and it started, you know, uh, actually no longer than that. Uh, I was doing ColecoVision and Atari when it came out back in the day. Got a classic Nintendo, loved the original Zelda, um, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Contra. These are all winners in my book. Um, had a, after that, things went quiet, never had like the N64, a friend had a Sega Genesis, um, got the PS2 early 2000s and played God of War and, uh, the original, I don't know if it was original, but Katamari Damacy, which was a wonderful game. Then nothing for a while, picked up Warcraft, uh, and played that on my PC for a while back in the day, enjoyed it and then quiet. And then I had children. And by the time my son was about eight, we got him, definitely for him, not for me, him, a PS4. And we've been using that since. Um, he's a big fan of Spider-Man, much like I am. We play Fortnite. That's a ton of fun. Uh, Horizon uh, Zero Dawn was a great one. I was going to say Forbidden West. That's the new one, which I haven't played yet. Uh, uh, Control in Last of Us, in like Bioshock. Like I, I have those games, quite honestly. That's not my jam, but that's not what you asked me. So my cred is about, you know, I, I play. I play video games. They're super fun. They're how I unwind at the end of the day a lot. Um, I also but just enjoy tabletop gaming. I've been doing that for a while. A good friend of mine used to host game nights at his house, and we would sort of get there and just, there'd be several games going on, from card games to tabletop games to board games to whatever. Oh, and I should mention the land parties I used to attend all night in college where we'd play Command and Conquer in our dorm. So that's that's my uh, brief history of Philip Milestone and video games. <laughs> well, you know, I can tell you there's a lot of overlap here. I mean, uh, first off, I should say start with professionally. Obviously, I'm the head of the esports practice at Zuber Luller. I'm also the director of the esports and gaming initiative at NYU. Uh, you know, and I, I, that's that's what I do. I teach esports uh, and gaming business, right? Uh, um to, to students, but, uh, you know, as a consumer, uh, I've been, you know, it, it, you know, immersed in gaming, I guess, uh, since, uh, since I was pretty young, uh, you know, had the NES, had the super NES, uh, you know, uh, then moved on to PC gaming. Uh, currently I have an Xbox series X and OLED switch. I have a steam deck, uh, gaming computer, all that kind of stuff. You know, and I consume, I would never dream 
of, of coding a game, uh, but I am an avid consumer. And I think that's where a lot of people are because, you know, this is the one thing that really blows people's minds. Uh, the video gaming industry is the largest entertainment industry in the world, right? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, during the pandemic, it was eight times larger than the film industry. Mm -hmm. It Even before that, it was four times bigger than the global film industry. It's bigger than music and film combined. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you, you uh, a lot of people know that, but you know, it's it's a huge, huge industry because everybody thinks, well, I'm going to do it on my console. I'm going to do it on my PC. Guess what? If you have a, a cell phone and if you've done Wordle, mm. whether you like it or not, you're a gamer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it might not be what you think of, but, mm. you know, uh, gaming defies uh, classification sometimes. Good point. I mean, I am a I've been playing Pokemon Go for for years. Uh, Razzle, um, Best Fiends. Uh, these are all games I've played. Gosh, there are games now that I remember that the names of which I can't remember. But puzzle games are fun for me. Uh, I just do things that you can, you know, again, some say waste time on. But I think a good game, you know, tells a good story. I was reading the other day, um, I think I was on Reddit, and there was a professor of English at uh, uh, some school had posted a picture of several PS5s and a bunch of games. And they were saying, like, you know, about to embark on teaching, you know, a literature class, you know, video game is storytelling. And it is, it's that, right? You're right. It's fun. It's interesting. It's diversion. But it's like, it's, it's like a movie and a book combined, you know, to mm -hmm. be oversimplistic about it, where you actually get to sort of get into the story, which I think is why people connect the metaverse and gaming so much, right? Metaverse is defined as this sort of super immersive experience. And, you know, it's what books are, where you're sort of reading it and your imagination's going nuts. Video games are, you sort of, your imagination gets an assist, right, from the writers and the designers of the game. And then you, but it's also sort of a choose your own adventure. So it's all these things combined. And I can see where the metaverse is sort of an, it seems like a next obvious step uh, to take gaming there. Because all of a sudden, immersive, one hopes, is more than, you know, just the sandbox in my hands and my eyes. Ideally, the metaverse would be a lot more. Yeah, I mean, people people really think of gaming as this. Uh, you know, again, they 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 think of uh, especially if they think about metaverse and gaming, they think Ready Player One that we're just going to jump in and mm. uh, it's going to be like the holodeck on the on, on the Starship Enterprise, and you're going to be able to do whatever you want. I'm with you. If that happens, <laughs> <That'd be awesome. laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm I'm nearly the trekkie you are, but I, you know, at the end of the day. Hey, uh, who who couldn't use like you know uh, escape from reality in mm. in in the best virtual reality of all time? But really, at the end of the day, uh, what really kind of gets me is you know how much I'm a stickler for precision in language and and concepts. Uh, it's 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 my biggest flaw, Philip. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm looking at the metaverse, and, and most of it is not gaming, although people equate the two constantly. Mm. And I think that's because. You know, there's a lot of gamification when it comes to, uh, you know, comes to the metaverse, right? Like you said, there's achievements, uh, there's badges that are given to you for just logging on to the Oculus Quest or booting up a game in Steam and stuff like that. Mm. And, and all of this feels like what gaming is supposed to be, I guess, if you look at it from a 30,000 foot angle. Mm. But if you're a hardcore gamer, I guess, you know... VR gaming is not a huge part of your, your repertoire and not that VR and metaverse are the same, mm. but metaverse gaming is absolutely not necessary to be a gamer. Mm. And so there's this tension between the gaming audience mm. and people who are pushing gamification of a virtual, of a virtual world, mm. like they're trying to do with the metaverse. Right. 
And, you know, you would think that there's a huge overlap with robust online communities and stuff, but I got to tell you, Philip, the gaming audience seems to be so much bigger than anyone that does anything with the metaverse. And so how do you feel about that linkage between gaming and the metaverse and gamification? Ooh, I mean, three big concepts. I think, I mean, certainly gaming and gamification are different because you can gamify a game, which sounds weird. But for example, I can play Fortnite without, you know, having a battle pass and I just mm -hmm. play and I, and I'm done. If I buy the battle pass, all of a sudden I get rewards, I get battle stars, right? I get, I get key skins and whatnot. So in that sense, games can be gamified. They incentivize you to play. Life can be gamified. I think my uh, first foray into that, you know, overlaps with the quantified self when I got my first Fitbit and I would get rewarded for taking steps or, you know, getting my heart rate above a certain thing, um, playing with my friends. So that was all gamification. The metaverse, I mean, I, first off, I would say that there are, there are, I would suggest that there are metaverses already, right? Azeroth, I think counts for sure. Like you have a character, there's history. I mean, that's that's world building, like Tolkien level, like, uh, you know, Brandon Sanderson level, like, you know, Cosmere level world building in Azeroth. There's history. I, I read the books when I was playing World of Warcraft. Like I was reading about legendary orcs and it was amazing, right? So like there's a, there's a robust history there. And then again with Fortnite, there's, there's some actually some pretty sweet comics that are coming out related to Fortnite and the history of the island. They've got seasons and chapters and you've got the zero point and like the island flipped and there's all these stories and now there's loopers and alternate realities and that's having, you know, its own moment. So I would say that there, there are these sort of immersive worlds already, right? Where we have games mm -hmm. that are metaverses, but that doesn't mean that they're all necessary to each other, right? Um, you can have a game without a metaverse or gamification. You can have gamification without a game of the metaverse, and you can have the metaverse with neither gaming nor gamification. So with that, in that sense, they are possibly distinct. I think what happens, a lot of people assume that the most robust uh, and best version of the metaverse is a gamified game happening in the metaverse. And I'm not so sure that that's the case. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, first of all, that was dead simple <laughs> for everyone listening. Lots of game gamification, get, you know, because it, it does get confusing when you really drill down on it. But my my broader question to you, Philip, is do you think the metaverse needs gaming? I would argue that the metaverse does need gaming because guess what? Gaming is the largest entertainment sector in the world. People don't actually realize this, I think, uh, but it's, you know, during the pandemic, uh, it was uh, the gaming sector was eight times larger than the film industry. Uh, and you can argue, look, the film industry was suppressed during the pandemic. But even prior to that, it was four times larger than the global film industry. Right. Mm. So gaming is absolutely massive. It brings new, robust, you know, tech savvy audiences to 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 your to your platform. And so how can the metaverse actually thrive without attracting gamers? And we will get into whether it is attracting gamers, but um you know, let's just start here. Does the metaverse need gaming? I, uh, I mean, the answer is yes, but I, but, I, but I don't think it's to the question you asked. I think the metaverse needs users and revenue. And it just so happens that gamers are a population who, who are ready to jump, right? Because like I said, they're, they're used to it insofar mm -hmm. as, you know, the Island or Azeroth or EVE Online, right? Or even Second Life back in the day, or Second Life maybe more explicitly as a metaverse. But there are huge communities who have huge communities who, who play games together. They have their own jargon. They have their own language. They have their own currencies. I mean, they are metaverses. So in that sense, 
the metaverse, the one that you and I are talking about, maybe that's the, I'm not going to say the big M, the, the immersive metaverse that will sort of inundate our lives um, as opposed to optional metaverses that I can opt into uh, on a, through a platform. That metaverse needs people and it needs money. And I think you're right that gamers are going to be at the forefront of that because they're, they're ready for it. They want it. They've been pushing the creation of virtual worlds already. And all of a sudden we have this new level of virtual world. So yeah, they're definitely going to jump in. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I would actually argue that, you know, I, 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 first of all, I agree with everything you said. The second part is that, you know, these virtual worlds, especially in the form of video gaming, you can argue are, were already sort of quasi-metaverses, right? Maybe they weren't intended to be, but it's if you're thinking of even things like Minecraft, mm. right? It's it's a it's a participatory forum online uh, that you that you can connect to. That's a virtual that has a community uh, that you can gamify if you want. You can you can play Minecraft in any sort of way you want, really. Mm. Um, and you know, it's it has this global community that's really passionate. And that brings in users and, like you said, revenue. And that's what the metaverse, in terms of the immersive metaverse and the VR metaverse, that's what they're chasing and that's what they're missing. And what leads me to believe that the metaverse is here already and, in fact, is recognized by more and more people is the fact that recently the MTV VMAs actually introduced a uh, best metaverse performance category. Yeah. I have no idea how how that that gets operationalized or judged. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you'll have to excuse me on that. But... Look, I mean, if you look at celebrities, they've been using these gaming platforms as uh, to connect with fans, right? Ariana, Travis Scott was in Fortnite. Yep. Ariana Grande was in Fortnite. Uh, Blackpink was in PUBG. BTS was in Minecraft. So on and so so forth, right? Now everybody seems to think of Meta and 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 Oculus and sort of Meta's version of the metaverse as as the future. But couldn't we argue that these online game experiences are already the functional metaverse. And now the question is, how do we just start linking all of these things together? Yes, and I think we probably should. I mean, um, Mark Zuckerberg is you know, free to make the decisions he wants to make, but I don't think he should be making them for all of us. And to the extent the metaverse that Meta is building is designed by a private company, more power to him. If people opt in, that's great. But it's not the metaverse. I would suggest uh, that you know, you're not only are you 100% correct that these metaverses do exist and the metaverse, as we're talking about in this podcast, is going to be sort of the next level, connecting them, um, making them hopefully one would think easier to interact with, right? I mean, and again, in my mind, it always comes down to the interface, the, met- the metaverse does anyway, mm-hmm. because, I mean, it would be... <laughs> Right now, I need to sort of, I can do it on my phone, but then I'm looking at a small screen. If I'm sitting on my couch and playing on my PS4, you know, it's still only a few of my senses. Actually being immersed in that sort of physically would be awesome. Uh, and I think that's what the metaverse, that's the promise of the metaverse, right? Um, you spoke about filming, film being a smaller market than gaming. I think that, you know, they see that. Uh, one of my favorite activities of recent years was when Black Mirror put out the Babadook. And that was a sweet choose your own adventure situation where you could, and I actually played it through my PS4. I watched it through my PS4 because you had to make your decisions, you know, um, through your console. And that was fun. And the next level would be, you know, me not watching that, but me actually being in it, right? Where I would be the kid and I'd be, you know, getting the crap scared out of me (laughs) or however we want to roll with it. Um, So I think that the gamification of film is happening. um, And I think that we have these experiences. I mean, we have... (sighs) 
gosh, is this too much? We have these escapist vehicles, right? Be it literature, be it video games, be it film, be it music. And what we're seeing is their confluence into a place where they can all kind of happen at once. And the lines between them are beginning to be much more blurry. Mm -hmm. And that place, I would say, is the metaverse. That place where distinctions we used to make stop mattering is the metaverse because it allows us to do so many different things, right? Yeah, right now, I mean, Ariana Grande's presence in Fortnite was cool. She was this, you know, thousand foot high creature that you were sort of running around while singing and all this stuff was happening. And it was a cool experience. But actually sort of being there would be cool. And maybe it's not, you know, a video depiction of Ariana Grande. Maybe it is Ms. Grande herself, you know, with, with whom we're, we're interacting in this place. Like that would be, you know, a next, a next level event. It'd be cool. You know, what's really interesting right now is we're talking about even just conceptually what a metaverse should be, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's the reason why gaming audiences have been a little bit hesitant to embrace sort of the metaverse because there's a few, it's been a mixed bag, but it, it, there's been a lot of resistance. And I think there's a few reasons for that, right? Um, first of all, I think you mentioned the really important part, which is that in terms of immersive tech, uh, like AR, VR, we're, we're not there yet, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, it's not that easy to use, especially on the VR front. It's it's clunky. It's a pretty awful input system. You can't move around freely. I, I, look, I have I have a VR headset. I believe you do as well. We're believers in the future of that technology, but that technology is not good now. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> right? I don't have an Oculus headset. I don't have any headset whatsoever. I've tried them, you know, around friends' houses and whatnot, but I just it was so uncomfortable. I I, I couldn't do it, and I feel like that's. That's the trade-off, right? Like you can put on the gear to try to approximate immersion mm -hmm. or you can sort of go for immersion through a limited vehicle. So for example, um, here's a shameless plug. Check out our second episode, Attractive Nuisance, about property in the metaverse. We actually interviewed Charles Smith, the CEO of Nifty Island, which is, you know, a game at the same time a metaverse. It's, I mean, sandbox is an understatement. Um, we need sort of a, a, we need different adjectives for it. But the idea there is you have an entrance to a world that nonetheless at the moment is still quite narrow, right? It's like you're looking at the universe through a very small door. And that small door is your computer screen or in your hands and just your eyes, maybe your ears, but nothing else. On the other side are the promise of immersive technologies, right? The reason they put you in haptic suits and eye you know, covers and whatnot <laughs> is that you're no longer looking at the universe you know, through a small window, you're in the universe. But the thing is that that technology is not there and on the other side, they can't make that window bigger. They've tried, right? I mean, this, showing my age, the original Nintendo was great. I mean, actually, ColecoVision had just a dial. And, you know, the original <laughs> Nintendo had, you know, uh, there's a control pad and two buttons. Maybe start, start and start and... Um, select. And select, thank you. So there were four buttons and one control pad. And now, like, I'm actually watching my son play PS4 right now. There's numerous buttons on there, right? And the thing is, is there comes a point when it gets too complicated and we can't interact with it efficiently, right? Some people always can, right? I mean, I see, especially PC gamers, find creative ways to interact um, because they've got a freeform interface. One would hope we'll find that someday with the metaverse. Um, and you're, you're totally right. The, the interface is the thing. Um, I think the technology, I mean, I would say we're, we're close. We, we can do amazing things, right? Uh, the MCU comes to mind as sort of infinite universes and a lot of money spent for the end product. But while it's being made, you know, it's seven people on a green screen in a giant warehouse. So we have the technology to make things look beautiful. Let's do it. 
The next thing is how do we get human people into it? And that's, I think, the promise of immersive technology in the metaverse that, like you said, isn't there yet. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that there's a reason why even with these metaverse platforms, uh, most of them we just interact with in the old traditional way, you know, mouse and keyboard, maybe, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff, because quite frankly, the VR is uh, stuff is not up to snuff. And um, look, why if you're a gamer uh, and, and I count myself as one, why would I give up tried and true input methods that have been refined over 30, 40 years? And give it up for uh, you know uh, pointing, pointing and clicking in random space with a, with a, a pretty terrible trigger. Like it, you know, uh, we're just not at that point of of evolution uh, and uh, you know development in terms of the interface and, uh, and and modalities. The other part that I think really holds back is the fact that there have been a few stops and starts in the Web three technology space, right? Mm. So, for instance, Ubisoft tried to launch Quartz, which was their NFT marketplace solution for their games. But the problem is, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of efforts to monetize in, in, in this space and especially to monetize in the metaverse, which is great. But I think the value proposition or, you know, what does this actually mean and, you know, why would we want to do this has not been fully explained, right? Um, and in fact... It, it kind of reminds me of the early days of just like trying to figure out how a file system works on Windows, mm-hmm. right? It, 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 you know, why am I, you know, like, why would I even do this when I could just use a regular filing cabinet? Why would I double click on this virtual filing cabinet? So we're, I think, at that early stage of like, why are we even doing this and building this out when the tried and true methods work? So look, as a consequence, I think that's the reason why some of the metaverse uh, plays have not been working super well. And we can even argue that Meta's a, a, a current involvement right now is a little bit of a disaster, financially speaking, right? Because mm-hmm. the news just came out that uh, Meta had an operating lo- uh, loss of $2.8 billion in its metaverse division alone. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's and a I lot think of cha- chunk of change. It is. <laughs> I mean, be, be it virtual change or real, it's, uh, you know, value is gone. And I think some of that is because, you know... <sighs> In a, in a game, right? I, in a sense, know what I'm getting. Um, when I, you know, log into Fortnite, you know, I know how much V bucks cost. I can spend them. When I'm in the game, I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, I mean, I'm probably being tracked, right? So there, there are there are terms and conditions. I mean, I'm definitely being tracked. There are terms and conditions to which I have to agree. But I guess I feel okay about it because I can turn it off, right? When I turn it off and I walk away, then all of a sudden you know, at least Epic isn't, and, and Sony aren't tracking me anymore. Well, <laughs> except the tracking of my absence, right? <laughs> anyway, the issue with the metaverse, especially the one that Meta is building, which I have no direct experience with, but I have experience with their other product, Facebook, and that is that you're sort of always being tracked all the time. And it's hard to turn it off and get away from it. And that that fear, it almost makes the metaverse sinister in a way, because it's a construct and when it's controlled like that, your presence in it is always tracked. Like you are the commodity, right? And it's that tried and true system of web 2.0, you don't monetize the user. And the fear is that when the metaverse is that immersive, you know, so much more of me is being monetized. And I think you're right, like it's easy to get wrong, right? Certainly we're gonna have the pets.com of the metaverse for sure, if we haven't already. Um, but I think that sort of regular people who are not necessarily savvy beyond their smartphone um, are going to have anxiety, trepidation around entering the metaverse 
A, I think emotionally, because a, a, a digitally immersive experience is not something for which our brains are hardwired, right? So that will be sort of some level of discomfort that we have to get past. But I think even if you're comfortable with digital immersion, the idea that the world around you is not something you're observing, but which is observing you, is a concept that is going to freak a lot of people out. And when you don't trust the observer, you know, what then? It's going to, I mean, at the very least, it's going to slow down adoption, right? At the very worst, it's going to, you know, be a harbinger of a dystopian nightmare. <laughs> but who, know, who knows where we'll end up? But I think like that's another factor that goes into adoption and why I think maybe gamers are the right people to adopt first. Ubisoft's example was great, right? I mean, they got it wrong and they were just destroyed for it, right? And <laughs> gamers aren't known for their restraint when they're offering adjectives on either the, themselves with their superlatives or exactly what you can do with your controller when you do something to them, right? So I feel like it's a, it's a good skeptical population to get in there and kick some tires. You know, I I love how you can bring everything back to the Panopticon. Uh, it's a it's a it's a <laughs> it's a wonderful talent. It's inescapable. <laughs> the the biggest thing here, I think, is that you know, uh, look, I mean, the metaverse. We hear about it as like the future of human interaction, right? It is where we're going to live, eat, sleep, breathe, work, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, I think you bring up a good point. You know, if you're a gamer, you've already been doing this for decades. Mm. Literally decades, if you're thinking about World of Warcraft and Second Second Life and all those kinds of things, right? There's an entire culture of online interaction. So how do you take that culture and then transpose it on this thing that people are trying to commoditize and monetize? Uh, and coming from, I think, from a gamer point of view, you're coming in from the outside and you're kind of ruining our party. Mm. What you know, it's it's not a it, you know until you present a value proposition that makes sense. It, I think you're going to come up against resistance all the time. And I think education, obviously, is the big key here. It's about educating and also communicating. How do we make this better? How do we not make it super cynical? How do? Yeah, we need to get our pound of flesh, but how do we make it a good experience for you? These are conversations that I would have hoped happened before <laughs> rather than being superimposed afterwards, but hopefully we'll get there. Are you an optimist? Um, I mean, generally, I would say yes, but I, you know... Uh, I don't quote President Reagan often, but uh, trust but verify is 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 not a bad model to to live by, and I feel that way about the metaverse. Right? I want it to be great. I see its potential. You know, certainly, you know, from Neuromancer and Ready Player One and Philip K. Dick have been writing about this in science fiction for forever, uh, and so in that sense, I sort of I love it and I want it. I want to go back to the idea of turning it off, right? Because I feel that an, an important part of platform gaming or mobile gaming or PC gaming is that you can always turn it off and go someplace else. I think the threat of the metaverse is that it will begin to inundate our lives in a sense the way mobile has, right? I was talking to actually a client of ours um, the other day who was trying to wire some money and for whatever reason couldn't make it happen um, with a computer of any sort, be it, you know, her laptop or her phone, whatever. So had to go to a bank and the bank had completely divested um, of human resources, right? I think there was like one branch in her town where there used to be dozens. In that branch, there was one person who could handle this where there used to be dozens. <laughs> so this 
sort of default idea that pe- that the the metaverse is going to be forced upon us the way that digital banking for example has been forced upon many of us that has me skeptical i don't i don't want that i do want it to be the case that i can still not not even sort of get go outside and be remote i just want to be able to exist in a place where i don't have digital encroachment and that you know does go to mobile but also i think goes to the metaverse i think the goal of the metaverse for a lot of people is to be able to charge you for things that currently are free you know and like the the, the best example of that is is a tree right like right now i can go find a tree and it's just me and the tree <laughs> And nobody's charging me to see it. Nobody's tracking me when I'm watching it. Nobody's sort of, you know, watching where my eyes go when I watch it. And the problem with the digital existence is all of that is going to happen. So that sort of encroachment, I don't like. But the promise of the metaverse being, you know, a super awesome place of infinite possibility, I want. The problem with infinite possibilities is, you know, all the possibilities are there and some of them suck. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'll conclude with this. I mean, you know, I, I agree with what you say, and I, I'm just going to give this message out to 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 the futurists who might be listening, or uh, you know, who might be talking. If you're overhyping the metaverse, just just please stop it. You know, uh, it's it. Let's let's be honest about where it is right now, which yeah. is it's in its infancy. It's still a 2D experience for the most part. VR is not there yet. Let's let's actually deal with it properly so we can actually figure out what the future of this actual platform is, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the future of the platform to to all the ultra capitalists out there, which which is fine, you know, we do need that. But the thing is, let's not commoditize everything mm-hmm. on the metaverse, right? Because you're gonna have a hard time people to attra- attracting people to your version of the world because if they don't have the skin in the game, why would anybody want to join a place where you're the lord? Uh, of your of the manner and you are but a lowly surf why would anybody want to do that long term just so think critically about what you're asking people to do if i'm going to join a metaverse i want to do it because i think i can join a community and i think i can contribute something to that community but also derive some value out of it Mm. if somebody else owns all that value why the hell would i be there it Mm. makes no sense so really think about what you think the metaverse should be obviously and how to monetize it go for it mm. but also think about what kind of world do you actually want to live in do you want to live in the world where you're the surf and somebody else is the uh, the lord of the manor i doubt that so stop asking users to do that nobody wants to go back to 16th century russia nobody wants to do that unless you were unless you were the tsar right but your <laughs> newsflash most people aren't yeah well i mean i i can't disagree with that um, I think that sort of overcommodification is not only something we should, we should guard against, but we 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 see the problems it creates. You know, it's it's not a new thing. Um, it's some would argue that's what went what went wrong with Web 2.0. So, in a sense, you know, let us let us learn from our past and you know see what we can do going forward. Absolutely, and we've got a great guest actually who's going to uh, educate us. And also talk to us more uh, about his, you know, about about the metaverse and about gaming and about his journey. Uh, it's Jonathan Stringfield. He's a VP at Activision Blizzard, and he's got a great new book, Get in the Game, that just came out. So, uh, you know, uh, stay tuned right now for the interview.
Hello, Metasapiens. We've got a great guest for you this week. Uh, we have Jonathan Stringfield, uh, who is the VP of Global Business Research and Marketing at Activision Blizzard. And he's also got a great new book coming out uh, called Get in the Game, where uh, it really educates people on how to you know, merge gaming and esports with, uh, with marketing. So, you know, really excited to talk about that. Obviously, the metaverse and gaming have a lot of overlap and uh, excited to get uh, you know, uh, involved in this conversation. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much, Jason. Really happy to be here. All right. So I believe Philip actually has a question for you. He was he was passionate about it. So I'll, I'll let him start the, pro, uh, the proceedings here. Hello, Metasapiens. And hello, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so you and Jason uh, know each other out, out in the world. I'm going to sort of fully disclose. You guys have known each other for a while. You're both heavy into not only gaming, but sort of the, the back end of gaming, as opposed to me, where I usually sit with a controller in my hand and do it that way. And that's exactly sort of the question I want to ask. I, you know, had the, the classic Nintendo when I was young. Um, and then we sort of jumped several, several <laughs> devices, several platforms to the PS4, which I bought for my son. First time I got it, I was like, oh, this is terrible. Way too many buttons. That's me showing my age. Uh, and now I'm at this point where I know I love my PS4. I actually got that classic throwback Nintendo a couple Christmases ago, right? It's the one that's like, like a tenth of the size and it's awesome. Anyway. Um, my question to you as a player, uh, a mensch within Blizzard, when I put on an Oculus, I hate it. When I put on sort of any sort of visor, I've tried it with several different platforms. They're clunky. They're uncomfortable. They're terrible. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not a gaming experience that I want to participate in. So my question to you, as we, you know, open this up really rapidly is the metaverse is supposed to be this immersive place, right? Where I can do and see so much. But the interface is just so awful, in one man's opinion. So before we jump into marketing and getting in the game, uh, I want to talk about how we do that. I'd love your opinion on the devices that you see coming soon. How are we going to interact with this new metaverse? Because it's over there. I'm here. And I want it to feel just like this. How do we achieve that? No, I mean, it's a great question and, and candidly not that far from the marketing concerns because they're all kind of interconnected in terms of how are you going to make and convince people that these are good consumer experiences, right? So, um, you know, I think first and foremost, it's your opinion. Sure, you said opinion of one. It is shared by many, right? Like if you look at a platform like Steam, right? Very large PC gaming community. So you're really talking about forefront of folks that are into gaming. So these are the folks, right? We expect to be very into VR. Like they're going to have the, the hardware and what have you. If you look at the hardware census that Steam publishes, and it's a wonderful piece of information, the install rate for VR headsets is about 2%. And the reason for that is exactly what you're talking about, right? That as it stands now, it's a little clunky, okay? And for the most part, folks that are into gaming, and this is a little broad strokes, but not far from the truth, like we talk a lot about graphical fidelity and things like that. And that doesn't process quite as well yet, literally and figuratively, to these screens that are right in your eyes. So, like, that's a long way of saying that me, as someone who is, you know, a big time gamer and an audiophile and a videophile and things like that, it doesn't look good. So, why do I want this that's so cumbersome, even if it is, yes, quite, quite a bit more immersive and what have you, when the visuals and the content, the experience in general is conceivably much better on a flat screen? given the fact that already game designers are very good at creating immersive experiences on a flat screen. like So what we're finding is that not only do you have like the technology that's quite up to, not up to snub, but we're not far, 
But most importantly, the content isn't there, right? So my entire game library, I think I have some five or 600 odd games on Steam, which is not unusual for someone who's been using the platform for quite some time, though it sounds egregious. Many of them were bought for like a dollar in various sales and what have you. Um, you know, only a small bit of that is available for VR. So first and foremost, I'd say the whole concept or the way of thinking that like for us to be in a metaverse experience must be through VR is one that I don't think folks are really orthodox about. Like, I don't think there's too many folks that are credible speakers that are like, that's how it has to be. And, and that's the only way they see how AR or VR or XR, or MR, or any kind of R you want to put out there is probably going to interrelate to it, but like not quite so what is the fact that it has to be in that direction. So from here to there, what we have to figure out is one, how do we make good content? And then two, how does the technology scale and adapt in a way such that it's not quite so cumbersome? And then we start getting into all these really interesting related topics that are, you know, again, I think broadly related to how the metaverse might work, inclusive of computational power, internet connectivity, all these things that are going to be required to make what is ostensibly a 3D immersive world at scale for thousands, maybe millions of users, which is an incredible technical hurdle. Which speaks, I think, directly to gaming. Uh, and I think that's an, an important, and I think, what's the word? It's, it's sort of, it's, it's the leading edge of what people think the metaverse is going to be. But other conversations Jason and I have been having on this podcast are about how the metaverse is, is going to be more the XR than any other R. Uh, and it's going to not be sort of dedicated gaming, right? If I'm looking at a screen, people can focus a lot on sort of what I'm doing right here. But how does that translate if I'm actually, if I leave my screen, if I leave my game and I want to go bank in the metaverse or I want to go to school in the metaverse or I want to do business in the metaverse, right? All of a sudden, a focus on content, which is more a focus on gaming, becomes, well, I shouldn't say focus on gaming. Content is always important, right? Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's the trick. Maybe it's about making the real world more game-like. It's not just content per se. It's the experience. And this is probably the single issue that I hit hardest when I go and speak about metaverse more broadly and talk about gaming and the relation between gaming and what have you. Because again, we could wander into the backyard of various like web three decentralized words and worlds and what have you. But the principal problem is that there just isn't much to do there. And the reason that gaming is leading the pack in terms of metaverse or proto metaverse or whatever you want to call them type experiences is because they attract a lot of people because there's something to do. So if not content per se, but that there is a reason for it to exist that fulfills human need. And when we're in such like this huge technology cycle, getting really excited about building new tech and the tech is exciting, we sometimes forget that at the end of the day, like people have to use this stuff. And again, like that's fundamentally the problem that we have with VR that like, yes, it's cool tech, no, it's not all that compelling as a consumer experience yet at mass scale. Copy, paste to most issues with modern metaverse or proto-metaverse experiences. You know, that's exactly what I'm finding. You know, uh, I obviously, uh, Jonathan, we know each other uh, through through the educational sphere, right? And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, my students always tell me is that VR is, is cool in, in theory. But you know, once you get there, there's not really much to do, right? Uh, there's only so much you can you can you know you can you can throw around some memes. You can maybe have a small party with people, uh, but unless it's gaming really driving it, there's no real goal to it because ultimately, it's another virtual sort of it's it's a virtual take on real life or it's a virtual version of real life, right? So um, it's it's just a different platform of what we already do, and gaming actually just provides the focus of what we can do. My my question is. 
you know, how far away, and maybe you just stress this in your book, how far away are we from actually delivering value uh, in new platforms, right? Like in the metaverse through gaming, like, you know, what, you know, is it a technological hurdle? Is there a creativity hurdle? What, where are we really in the, in the development of games that are more immersive, that are more 3D, that people will actually flock to? I mean, one could, so there's, there's two ways you can look at it, right? Like the, the easy one is the resting on your laurels one that is, we're there um, to a certain degree, right? Like in terms of virtual worlds, again, using the term very broadly, where thousands, millions of peoples are congregating, that's gaming, right? And mm -hmm. we could all rattle off kind of dozens of examples, which I think those that are metaverse adjacent, like Roblox and Fortnite and things like that tend to be the exemplars, right? So to a certain degree, it's, it's there. And then the step forward is, okay, then what do we mean, right, by metaverse X experiences? Are we talking about massive virtual VR worlds, e.g. what meta is trying to make via the Horizon platform or what have you? Well, Again, there we're coming to that that fundamental disconnect, right? That you have platforms like Horizon that in theory have the incredible advantage of more or less, and now it's kind of ebbing and flowing, being plugged into the social graph that Meta then Facebook controls as the potential to flow millions, billions, maybe users into this experience, but the use case is lacking, right? And if you look at this past Christmas, like I called it like the Oculus Go Christmas, right? Like it was on sale at like, dozens of, of different electronic stores. I think dozens of how, I mean, like thousands of people went out and bought these for their kids, right? And and I got one even for my kids, right? Even though we have VR headsets kicking around, I was like, screw it, it's a good price. And yeah, you can screw around this a little bit. And they used it for like two months and it's collecting dust somewhere. And and again, that like it's cool tech and they're doing a nice job, but there's just not enough to sustain it, right? So again, you kind of have those those two ends where you have a lot of people doing non-VR, AR, XR, MR type experiences, and you have fewer people that are in the more immersive experience. And really what we're trying to find is kind of splitting the middle. And then the question quickly mm -hmm. becomes, do we want that? Is that the goal, right? Or are we always looking at some degree of specific divide that depends on the context of the experience? So again, practical example, let's return again to gaming, not just because I want to talk about that exclusively, but just because it's something that I think about in terms of like, say, minor town and habits. Like, I bought a Steam Deck recently, right? And also, I'm talking a lot about Steam. I swear I'm not getting any money from them, right? <laughs> um, and so this is what I use, like, when I'm on my couch and, you know, playing, you know, kind of like an indie game or something quick and quick hit, right? And then I may have dedicated time at the evenings when I can sit in front of, like, my television or my monitor to play something that's a little bit more immersive, something that's, like, got a little bit more heft to it. So, like, my content choices are also shifting a bit based upon the context of my everyday life, which is important. I'm a human that isn't just, you know, concerned with going to virtual worlds, like I have stuff to do. And how these things fit into my life is going to be partially enabled by these technological devices. Again, take that POV, apply it to metaverse. There might be a world where, again, I'm having a sit down experience where I want something really punchy and then that's it, man. Like I got the headset on and maybe like haptic gloves and who the hell else knows what'll happen. And, and I'm all in versus a lighter weight experience when I'm sitting on the couch that Maybe it's partially mediated by a phone or AR glasses or MR or some sort of tech that's a little bit lighter weight. You know, I'm glad you brought up all those different sort of platforms and modalities of interaction because, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy about gaming in particular, especially when they think of it in a metaverse context, it's always Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. It's always VR. 
Uh, it, it, and, and it's, it's never that right at the end of the day, I also got a steam deck recently. Uh, you know, I'm doing uh, much more gaming because I can lie down and sort of like relax. And even in games that are old, like, uh, even, even a JRPG is like persona for golden. They added uh, a social feature where you can go and actually help people in that game and rescue them from dungeons and stuff like that, that so people, you know, there is, I think what is a good takeaway is that, you know, especially in the forms of gaming, there are so many modalities of interaction and the metaverse can mean so many different things in the context of gaming that, you know, it's, it's important not to get hung up on the VR aspect of it. It could be AR, you know, Pokemon Go did, did, did wonders for advancing AR in that realm. Right. Um, and, you know, you can also do it through uh, mobile devices. You can do it, uh, you know, on your TV. Um, you know, all of that requires specificity. And that brings me actually, that specificity brings me to my, Next question, which is also a little bit about you, Jonathan, which is, you know, obviously you're in gaming now, but in your journey, where did you start your journey to get here, right? And to talk about uh, about gaming and how did all your experiences and your education actually help you right now? Yeah, so, I mean, to, to that previous point before jumping into, into that question, I think what folks sometimes gloss over is that if you think about how gaming is prolifer proliferated now right that it's i think latest estimates are some like three billion you know people in the world it got big by merit of being more accessible right and, and so a lot of people think it has to do with phones right and, and that's partially true right like by the more that gaming was available on mobile phones the overall relevant population with a quote-unquote gaming device increased but it wasn't just the tech it was also the design of the games and very specifically the games were being designed for everyone, not just for folks that had classically played games before. So again, it was that combination of both tech and human factors that really kind of enabled it up. So again, if we think about VR, if we think about different lenses through which we're going to address immersive experiences, that same kind of heuristic has to apply, right? How do we make it accessible? How do we make it interesting for folks, right? And, and and again, on net, how do we make it not so cumbersome that what they're going to get out of the experience is something that they can kind of easily get into and provides them enough value to do so. And, and to your latter point, you know, that's kind of, you know, partially been a little bit of the, the journey that I've been in professionally that, you know, first and foremost, researcher from end to end, starting at Nielsen, doing measurement science that made denominators for TV ratings, doesn't sound sexy, but something that controls some, you know, six, seven billion dollars of, of TV spend, and then worked in measurement research at Facebook and Twitter and then Activision Blizzard. And throughout, even though it seems like a bit of a jump going from, you know, social media to gaming and working with brands, we were kind of looking at the same fundamental issue, right? That I was early on at both Facebook and Twitter. And the idea was that we would have to go to major brands and talk to them about the power of these platforms and how users, you know, orient themselves towards them and how to communicate through them in an insights-led way. So this ostensibly was in a position to teach Fortune 500 brands about new tech and new ways that individuals were interfacing through media via empirically serious research, right? So in that same way, even though gaming as a, let's call it an ecosystem just for the, the sake of convenience, has been around a lot longer than all those platforms, um, marketer attention has only really kind of peaked in call it the last five or six years, which again, still want to do credit to the fact that like game advertising and, you know, various businesses oriented around it have been around for a long time. But I think we're really starting to get to the place that we're at critical mass now. And it's the same fundamental problem, right? That brands are having to adapt to ostensibly technology they don't understand, user states they don't quite get, 
and an ecosystem that they haven't previously navigated. And really what we're trying to do is work with them, again, in empirically serious ways to help them understand these use states, which then led to the creation of the book and everything else, because candidly, that gap in terms of relative knowledge between, you know, say, folks understanding a Facebook to a Twitter from a social media to a video game, that's a bigger gap. And the fundamental knowledge required in terms of immersive experiences, leaned in media, things like that is just so much bigger. What I found is that we just didn't have some of that foundational knowledge that we really needed to start to break through with folks. I like the way you yeah. phrase it as empirically serious, because um, it's sort of it's the uh, it's essentially like the, the social scientification or the liberal artification of gaming, right? Jason I know teaches esports, and I know you've taught in the past, and the idea that not only are games and you know and their experiences being taken seriously in the academy, but they're not it's not only happening anymore, sort of in dedicated gaming departments, right? You can take English classes based upon storytelling. It's almost becoming the way film is taught, right? It's not, it's not niche anymore. You're taking all these different areas of human experience and sort of applying those methods to these experiences. Because I, I, I don't even want to say applying it to gaming, just applying it to human interactions, right? With each other in the worlds that we build. Books are great, you know? I mean, world building has been happening forever. And games are sort of this immersive experience of world building that, you know, I want to have happen in a brilliant way. So, and you now, Jonathan, I think you are teaching and you're in marketing. Can I answer the obvious question and sort of be the purist and say, God, I, mean, I don't want the metaverse to turn into you know, a bunch of ads everywhere, right? The way that Instagram right now, quite honestly, is awful. The way that you sort of go to any social experience that was cool for a while um, and now it's just inundated, right? What do we do to prevent that? Should we prevent that? What's the way to do it well? Because quite honestly, you know, I'm a capitalist, ads are important, but how do we do it in such a way that the immersive experience isn't ruined? The interesting, I think, maybe one of the most interesting things about this broader dialogue around the metaverse and why it consistently has folks, otherwise reasonable folks, just rolling their eyes nonstop, and believe me, I'm in that group sometimes, is that it feels like we're talking about it very early, right? And, and to some degree, that's very exciting for, for folks, right? That like, in, again, in certain pockets, communities are like, oh, we're so early, like this is kind of an actually exciting rallying cry. But if you think about the forms of media that are kind of dominating, again, for the sake of ease, let's talk about the mostly like ad-enabled consumer landscapes, i.e. social media, web two more generally, you know, we we didn't quite see them coming as much, I would argue. And I'm sure there's someone who's going to listen to this and point out like a thousand ways that I'm wrong. But like, just for the sake of argument, like it, it feels like we're talking about something that could be formulated in five or 10 years. We understand the technological issues required for it and they're immense and we don't have a solve. Whereas I think for previous potential, call it revolutions going to web two or what have you, again, someone is gonna listen and correct me in about a billion different ways, but just for the sake of argument, the tech issues weren't quite as thorny, but it was the kind of the social, the scaling, the like critical mass issues of how do you get people to use a service? So that's a long way of saying that why I find the metaverse interesting is not so much that, you know, all of a sudden, like, I'm 100% convinced that this is going to be the next revolution of the internet, and it's all in, and it's going to look like this, and, you know, I have specific dogma about it. I'm not a futurist. I, I can't tell you that. What I find interesting is that we are talking about the possibilities of taking so much of our social interaction, commerce, everyday life, and wanting to put it in virtual worlds. And understanding that we're building something that won't be tangible for about a decade. 
So getting back to your question, this is all a setup for the fact that what we have now is the gift of preparation and hindsight. So if we knew what we knew now about social media, would those platforms, if we were the people in charge, right, would we have built them in the same way? Probably not, right? Like there's some things like purely putting your capitalist hat, like the closed, you know, gardens everyone hates, like, yeah, everyone hates them, but great for making money, right? So like, if you really wanted to like make yourself a billion dollars, maybe you do that anyway. But then like all of the factors in terms of like, there was questionable areas in terms of like, how folks in you know, algorithms were orienting content to folks at times that may or may not have been strictly appropriate. And there's famous cases where actually this kind of went over the edge. So they, we understanding that and understanding how, again, let's start to hit at some icky topics like misinformation and whatnot has really proliferated on these platforms. Would we build them in the same way? And the answer is probably no. So now understanding that, right, that like we kind of understand what could happen right, from a platform like Metaverse, if it goes wrong, I would love to believe one that will put the due diligence in to require that, like, let's not make the same mistakes. But then two, because we got about a decade, it does enable us to think through what are ways that we could monetize it or sustain it if we don't want to purely think about it in terms of revenue in a way that isn't strictly advertising related. Now, Again, to be clear, I think there is a place for advertising and marketing. Like, you know, again, there's value in marketing, period. I'm not a purist, but hey, it's good to know about stuff that I might want to buy. Like I do, as do many folks, find marketing occasionally quite useful. So like, we don't want to wipe that off the map, but do we want it to be the case that all of these platforms, not entirely unlike Web2, are entirely subsidized solely based upon essentially sourcing out attention from advertisement on these platforms. Maybe, maybe not. So if it's a maybe not, then cool, we got some time. How are we going to do that? And how do we do it in a way that, again, makes sure that we're not tripping over the potential social ills that could come from these platforms that we may have strayed close to with social media? Yeah, and I, in terms of uh, monetizing all of that, obviously people are are excited about how to integrate other Web three technologies into that. You know, uh, obviously. But uh, before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit more about your book. And you know, in your book, you say, uh, you know, the tagline is "How to level up your business with gaming, esports, and emerging technologies." Uh, again, it's called "Get in the Game." So. If you are going to tell people, uh, you know, and this doesn't have to be metaverse per specific, but if it is, that's great. You know, if you are talking to somebody, let's say, as my students would affectionately call it or not so affectionately call it boomers, right? If you were going to talk to them and, and you were in front of an exec and they said, look, I run a company that does the classic business school example, widgets, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're a widget factory and we want to market widgets. How do I actually use gaming, esports and technologies what is the first thing you would say to them and 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 how you know what sort of takeaways from your book do you think would be most relevant to a to people that are really not familiar with uh with you know marketing to this generation I mean I think the you know the the potent, the proverbial widget salesman or head of widgets or or whomever it is would actually hopefully find it valuable because it's kind of written for that right like not for widgets per se but the idea is that like it is a 101 right it is written with the idea that you are a marketer or a business decision maker that has heard about this whole gaming thing and have heard about this whole esports thing, and you can kind of tell it's important, but you know nothing about it or next to nothing or just don't know where to turn in terms of onboarding. 
the book was written for that purpose, right? So it starts broadly in terms of like the landscape of gaming, the history to a certain degree, largely focused on the revenue history, because that's where the potential for business integrations come from. And then talks about a bit of a roadmap in terms of what are the most effective areas for ingress. So for the widget person, right? If they read through this, what they will gain is essentially understanding in this broad ecosystem, because again, there's a lot of opportunities in gaming. And I just talked about that, you know, the stat out there, some 3 billion gamers in the world, right? That that sounds enticing, but it's not like a marketplace, right? Like you can't tap into a Google of gaming and reach 3 billion people. That's not how it works. What you're going to find is pockets of individuals, pockets of individuals and different play types. Pockets of individuals and different play types in different ways of accessing them in a broader ecosystem. So you're going to find a couple million people here or there and understanding where and how, and then importantly, how to do so effectively is really what this is trying to fast track you onto, right? And then to the point of the metaverse, the way that I frame the book is that, you know, look, whether or not you believe in the concept of a metaverse, you're kind of on the sidelines, you're like, eh, we'll figure out, you know, what's going to happen in another five, 10 years or what have you. One way or another, understanding marketing experiences or realistically just conveying information to consumers in interactive, immersive experiences is becoming a fundamental tool for marketers and business decision makers. Through the lens of gaming, you can learn that and start to experiment with that now. And then in theory, it will pay dividends to this potential future, whether it be metaverse or not, that what you learn from gaming you can apply towards the immersive worlds of metaverse, given that many of them are antecedents of gaming. So it's set up in such a way that, you know, we're going to go through those baselines, get that basic understanding. And then the final chapter is kind of a more future, uh, future looking one. They use the metaverse as an organizing principle of like, okay, this is how this stuff could come together. If we also look at 5G and directions and other like buzzy technologies inclusive of, you know, blockchain and what have you and how this could all formulate and then apply these essential skills. But again, really focusing on that element of understanding the consumer and how they're oriented through these technological interfaces, because what I continually tell folks is like the tech always changes quickly. Humans much slower. So understanding how you know, humans, again, orient themselves, comport their identity or interact intermediated by virtual worlds or other immersive media, that's the skill we want to learn. That's the skill that I'm trying to equip them with in this book with relevant payoffs right now in modern gaming that should, in theory, prep them for being effective in a future metaverse or other virtual worlds. You know, Jonathan, that, that brings me sort of to the culmination of my questions, which is basically, you know, uh, in terms of the metaverse, and I want to talk about, you know, the metaverse is one thing. I want to talk about Web3 a little bit more broadly and also things, uh, um, you know, and how it's being presented to gamers. Uh, we both know uh, that uh, one of your uh, big comp competing <laughs> publishers uh, tried to launch an NFT project, um, right? Uh, you know, Ubisoft and, uh, and Project Quartz, I believe. Uh, and it went over like, uh, like bricks uh, in a boat. Right. I mean, it, was, it just basically sunk right away uh, through due to public outrage. Uh, you know, fundamentally, you know, I think we, we, we know that it's going to go that direction, that there's going to be monetization avenues, that there's going to be, you know. But what went wrong 
in your opinion, and obviously you don't have to speak about them in particular, but what are we doing wrong as a society right now? Uh, you know, uh, when we're talking about, you know, monetization avenues in Web3, like NFTs and crypto, and when it comes to gaming in particular, you know, it, because it, there doesn't seem to be a broad base of support among gamers for that kind of stuff. Because I think the, the biggest qualm that I have with it, and again, like this, like many topics here, strictly speaking from my personal opinion, not any official position from Activision Blizzard or otherwise, is that, you know, there's just not a well articulated vision in terms of the potential value payoff for gamers that isn't already enabled or in theory possible without using something like blockchain, right? And until you can kind of bridge that gap, then there's always going to fundamentally be a bit of that divide. So again, to be clear, I don't want it to be too, you know, kind of harsh on the potentialities of, of this technology. But right now, it's kind of trying to fast forward to how can we make these financialized instruments to make as much money as humanly possible? And using something like gaming is the, is the, is the highway to do it, because gee whiz, like virtual items sure make a lot of sense in this world. So, wow, this is clearly the way that we can really get mainstream information for this technology and make a shit ton of money and so on and so forth and just gliding right by the point. And the point being that, like, sure, I think most gamers probably wouldn't mind if they made some money from playing their game, but they're trying to play a game. They're, it's not a job. So, like, the, the issue is that most of the applications, and again, if you look at broader, you know, um, arcs in, in play to earn with Axie Infinity being the exemplar of like, wow, how to do it well. And now it's the exemplar of, wow, this is what happens when this really goes bad. It's because it was fundamentally just like this kind of weird, I think I described it once as like a Pokemon flavored version of like Marxist capitalism, complete with like managers and like, you know, that controlled the means of production, i.e. the Axie and all their little workers and the guilds and what happened, like there was such an incentive to just make money, the game was immaterial. So again, if you wanna create a system like that and you believe it to be sustainable, that's fine. Don't call it a video game and then get all mad when gamers are like, I don't want to interact with that. That doesn't seem like it's fun. That doesn't really have a reason to exist. Now, what will be interesting, right, is that again, on a long enough timeline, I think there's a lot of the things going on in like the broader Web3 world that just like have to kind of burn out, right? I think there's a world where there could be applications, right? Like I'm cognizant of projects that have come that are implementing game mechanics that are in theory only possible through blockchain. I don't know if they're fun. I don't even know if they're interesting, but it's a start because right now just saying, oh, because it's on the blockchain, most gamers are pretty tech savvy. They're going to be like, cool, why? I, I don't care about that. Like, okay, in theory, I can move it out of this game system. But like, again, it doesn't, I can't move it anyway. So why shouldn't it just be on a centralized server, at least for now? And, and again, I get the broader points in terms of like walled gardens and, you know, how that then doesn't deteriorates the real value. But like, we're just not in a world where that matters right now. So again, I don't mean to like shut down any future visions, but we we're kind of trying to sprint at this before we can even crawl. And in sprinting at it, all we're doing or all of a lot of the focus has been is just purely financialization. And that's just not appealing to folks. And candidly, it feels scummy because a lot of it is scammy. And you're already kind of putting like a lot of 
badness against this technology with this community that doesn't necessarily need to be there, all more or less for the sake of greed. I love the points you're making. I mean, I, they're brilliant, but I see a tension because I kind of see two points that are fighting each other. Um, so my question is going to be, how do we hardwire protections into the metaverse? And the context is this. You just gave us a brilliant example of how financialization and greed sort of ruined what could have been a good thing. You said, we need to take the lessons from the past and apply them to, the, to, to our current state so our future is better. <laughs> the problem is, you also said, people are slow and tech is fast. And I would posit that the law is even slower. <laughs> and the only way that we can sort of hardwire a lot of things is using the law. An example for Web 2.0, I wish we had hardwired privacy protections in a completely different way. Like we had none, right? The reason that a lot of these giant companies own a ton of data is we just said, you know, data, who cares? I'll just let them have it. And that was the wrong idea. Personal opinion, but there it is. So here, if you could wave your magic wand, right? Given this tension, people are slow, tech is fast, but we need to take our time. And the other side, greed and financialization will rush into something where they see there's money and ruin it. If you could hardwire structure for the metaverse, what would the rule or rules be that you'd like to be hardwired? What, what do you want to put in place? I think the fundamental, and I don't know if it's a hardwired rule or more of kind of a guiding philosophy, is that, you know, when I think about what's interesting about the future of the metaverse and the problems and what have you, and again, I'm a sociologist by training, I think, through social problems, but I do fundamentally believe this to be a social and people problem, right? And to the point about the past, I actually wrote an article in VentureBeat a couple weeks ago. And it was basically like trying to be a little provocative. I was poking the bear a little bit, but I was like, hey, y'all, Metaverse shaping up like Web 2 because like all this Web 3 stuff is pretty janky. But the broader point was more that Web 2 became successful not because of centralization per se. That was an after effect driven by revenue. Web 2 became successful, scaled millions, billions of users because it made doing certain things on the internet very easy. Okay. Think about web one, like, yes, you can do a lot, but you had to learn like HTML or certain code. Like none of this is like insurmountable, but like techie, right? Whereas compare that to say Facebook, you create an account, you can put all sorts of stuff on web, YouTube, same deal, et cetera. You can think of dozens of examples, but all of these, they fundamentally shared the same value, which was we're gonna allow you to create things that you can share with others and make it super, super easy for you, right? So in doing so, it fulfilled fundamental human needs, right? Expression, socialization, things of that nature, okay? Centralization and what have you, all the bad stuff, kind of came as an after effect. And again, I'm being a little flippant. Someone's going to listen and wave their finger at me and fine. But like, again, we're, we're, we're talking about broad strokes here. So if we think about the metaverse, right? The problem that I have with Web3, and again, the other claim that I make, and again, also not a controversial one, because I think even you know Matt Ball has certified it in his, his book, so I think it's now law, that Web3, Metaverse, two different things. Stop conflating them. It's doing no one no favors, right? And then my problem with Web3 is that it leads only with technology. In fact, taking out the human element is entirely the point, right? Code is law and all the rest of this stuff. Like It is trying to get rid of human intermediaries to a fault. So right then and there, you're going to have some problems because humans need to use this stuff. So if we do disabuse ourselves of that, then we're now looking at a metaverse that, again, potentially could be very important. And the focus needs to be on what value can we provide to humans? That's why things like games have really taken off, because they, too, fulfill basic human needs. 
joy, socialization, intrinsic motivation. Like these are important things that we kind of need that are fulfilled through this. So first and foremost, we need to start with that. And then secondarily, in terms of how do we make sure that, you know, again, we're not potentially falling our, over ourselves in terms of the evils of like, you know, the after effects of Web 2 that are kind of like the less savory parts. That's the biggest challenge. I don't have a canned answer for you, but I think what we need to start figuring out is that, you know, okay, obviously commodifying attention and then circling off individuals' identities into certain spheres was profitable, but also created some issues. And then also, how we then filter information to folks had some very bad after effects. So if we understand what some of these root causes of some of the badness are, great. How do we make sure that we kind of try to sidestep them? And that could be alternative revenue models. That could be ways in which that we allow identity to be transferred or not, or to be comported or what have you. And yes, I know there's a bunch of Web3 people are going, that's exactly the point, but like it also doesn't necessarily need to be blockchain. So calm down, there's other ways to do it and so on and so forth, right? Like there's a couple of different ways that if we think about those core fundamental problems and are cognizant of them, then we can maybe get ahead of having a solve. Of course, there's gonna be brand new problems, but yeah, we can't necessarily predict those. And I guess we'll just kind of figure that out when we get there. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for this. The takeaways I'm going to take away from our conversation is that, you know, when we talk about Web3 and the metaverse in particular, uh, you know, uh, there's a few words that keep on coming up in all these conversations, especially with you. First one is education. You know, how do you even get online? What do you do? I mean, we, we've done a poor job of actually explaining that. Uh, second is value proposition. You know, how is this actually going to benefit you is something that we've done a poor, I think collectively, we've all done a poor job on, and I don't want to single anyone out, but there's a lot of futurists out there that have made it seem much more complex than necessary. And third, it's it's just fun. I mean, a human experience. I think you keep on mentioning that. And I think that's that ultimately we're not here to serve the machines. The machines are here to serve us until the... Uh, you know, the singularity or, or whatever hap is happening at Google happens. Uh, so, you know, uh, thank you very much for your time. And once again, I, I encourage everyone to get uh, to read your book, get in the game, how to level up your business with gaming, esports and emerging technologies. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. A lot Thanks, of fun. Jonathan. Thanks. And Metasepians, we'll see you uh, next episode.